everybody, welcome to my podcast, Pension Trends Plus with Atara, bringing you up-to-date information on pension funds, securities class action litigation, and all things related to your portfolio, and some life stuff as well. I'm Atara Hirsch-Torsky, securities class action attorney at AFNT in New York City. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Daryl Cobbins, all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. Daryl is a recognized leader in his community. Appointed by the mayor of Memphis, he served on the steering committee for the Regional Development Business Plan, which works to develop long-range strategic business models for the Memphis region. Darrell was also appointed by the mayor of Memphis to serve on the board of trustees for the Memphis Light, Gas, and Water, the nation's largest municipally owned company. Darrell was eventually appointed the chairman of this board, and in this capacity, Darrell also served as the chairman of the $1.3 billion public light, gas, and water pension fund. In addition to his civic and professional involvement all around Memphis, Darrell is dedicated to the betterment of Memphis and its citizens, providing service and leadership to many of the area's bedrock organizations. Darrell, I'm so happy to have you here joining me today. Thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you and I met in connection with your work on the Memphis Public Pension Fund, and you really are someone who has worked so hard to serve the public sector, specifically in Memphis, your hometown. Um, but I know your background is really also in real estate. So let's start by just telling us, how did you get involved in public service? Well, I was, I was raised in a family that really believed in, in service to the community um, in a number of ways. Um, you know, my family was involved in political events and campaigns and helping candidates. Um, also, uh, my grandparents and, and my mother's siblings were all uh, very active civically serving on different boards and helping found different uh, arts organizations and, and other community service organizations. So as a child, I was really dragged to more things than, uh, than a typical child is dragged to. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't everything that I wanted to do at the time as a kid, but it definitely provided tremendous exposure uh, for me to see the world in so many different ways and to see that, you know, service should be uh, a component of our lives that in addition to what we do for a living, uh, where we try to help improve the communities in which we, we work and live uh, and also think about you know, our kids and their futures and make sure that there's a community waiting for them that is uh, bright and uh, full of opportunity. That's really wonderful. So it sounds like this is really just something that's been in your blood. You almost had no way around it, right? I really didn't. And you know, going through high school and college, I wasn't a very ambitious um, individual. I just wanted to do my work and, and go home and play sports and do those things. But once I entered into the professional world, it's sort of where I, I you know, really early on decided that I wanted to, um, to be a contributor and to make a name for myself, uh, both professionally and civically. And I was, I was bold enough, and this may be getting to your first question. This was the, what I consider to be the seminal point for my uh, civic involvement as an adult is I, there's an organization called Leadership Memphis, and it just turned 40 years old. And uh, it's one of those civic leadership organizations where they bring together people from different professions and backgrounds. And for about a 10 month period of time, you're immersed 
with each other in exploring different aspects of the community, finding out how institutions work, who the players are, what the issues are, and going through that experience at a really young age, maybe 23, 24 years old at the time, probably one of the youngest people ever to go through Leadership Memphis, uh, it really opened my eyes up that I could make a difference in this community. And I really didn't need permission and I didn't need, um, um, you know, handholding that I could, along with other people, of course, uh, chart a course and, and make an impact and try to make this community better. So that empowered me at a really young age to, to examine how I could shape the direction of the city from my perch um, and, and make a difference and, and help improve the community and make it better. Wow, that's wonderful. And it sounds like you had some really great mentors, right? Which I think along the way is always so important, especially since you were so young starting out in, in these areas. Sure. I, I know that you're friends with the mayor of Memphis. So tell us a little about how did that relationship come to be? I worked in, this was the, our, our former mayor, two mayors prior, Mayor W.W. W. Harrington. He served for almost 20 years as mayor of Memphis. He was the city's first first African-American elected mayor in 1991. And he had seen me active and involved civically. I worked in one of his campaigns um, in the late 90s. And at one point, right after he had gotten reelected to his fifth term, he asked me to come to his office and meet with him. We sat down. And he said, you know, Daryl, I, I have known you for a while, seen you active in the community, and I'd like to place you on the board or appoint you to the board of Memphis Light, Gas, and Water. And he said what he wanted to do in his final term was put different young Memphians in positions where they could learn and grow and develop as leaders, um, and ultimately that benefit Memphis in the long run and in the long term. And so he appointed me to the Memphis Light, Gas, and Water Board, where um, there are five commissioners, all appointed by the mayor. They serve at the will and pleasure of the mayor. Typically, I think the terms are somewhere in the range of three years or four years or something to that effect. And, um, and the utility, you know, more so than probably in typical communities, Memphis Light, Gas, and Water is a a uh, staple institution in Memphis because all of your utilities are paid through this company, light, gas, and water, electric, gas, wow, and, right. and um, they're a large employer and they're the only game in town. So there's nowhere else you can go to get those services. Those services, so, right. Wow. Right. And so in a community like Memphis where you know, our poverty rate is somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, 30% or so, um, you know, with it being the only game in town, you have to have sort of a community mindset. Uh, in addition to being profitable, you know, you have to have policies in place that make sure that people can be um, cooperated with and accommodated in their situations to, uh, because you're providing a service. And again, you're the only game in town, so there's nowhere else that they can go. And so, I really enjoyed my time there, um, especially serving on the pension board, which was one of the most illuminating experiences I've had professionally, because I didn't know anything about pensions or investments to that extent. 
and was sort of well that, i was just going to ask you that you know yeah. i a lot of you know my clients are public pension funds and, and unions primarily and all of them tell me exactly what you're just saying you know it's another language Absolutely. you know you might think you know a little bit about investing if you you know dabble in it but there's nothing like um investing you know as a pension board so how did you pick up that language was it just sitting in those meetings and and learning did you do something else yeah, I did some other things. Um, I was literally thrust into that position when I became chair. Uh, and at the time, I'd been on the board maybe two or three years. Uh, when I became chair, you know, I was the, the youngest chairman in the history of the utility and uh, was placed in this position of both chair of the utility board and chair of the pension board, which are literally two separate bodies. Uh, the pension board is made up of a retiree representative, an employee representative, a couple of citizen representatives, and a couple of staff people, um, plus me as a commissioner. And so, uh, so it's a really uh, sort of constituent-focused body. And what I realized probably three or four months in is for me to be effective in this role, I need a couple of things. One, I need to understand the context and the world outside of Memphis Light, Gas and Water as it relates to pension investments and, and performance. And I, wanted, I want to connect with other pension board members around the country that I can ask questions and bounce things off of. So one night I was just Googling and I found uh, Opal conferences that provided provided everything that I was trying to achieve. And so, you know, I went to my first Opal conference, I believe it was in Texas. Um, and I went to a couple of more after that, but it was really, really helpful because what it did was connect me with um, consultants, with other trustees, um, other representatives from pension funds around the country, public and private. And it, it gave me a broader view so that I could come back and be a better chair and bring ideas and, um, and other things to, you know, my role as the chair of the pension board and really push our consultants and advisors to do things that I thought uh, we should be doing. And I would say for my first year, I served two years, for my first year, I was just learning and just kind of figuring out how everything worked exactly, getting the lay of the land and, and, and educating myself. And then the second year, I felt strong to execute on things. And so in that second year, I really pushed on the diversity and inclusion of our managers. Um, and um, you know, it was really helpful. I'd gone to a NASP conference in California and really got, got a chance to see just some of the best and brightest minority managers from around the country. And, um, and so in that next year, we increased our uh, diverse manager pool by over 100% in one year, in one year. And that was just from having a broader set of experiences and exposure to be able to come back and, and um, help inform our board and, and push our consultants to be more inclusive in their searches. 
Wow. No, that's really amazing. And that's really um, the wave of the future, right, is really to give mm-hmm. opportunity to, uh, to a diverse group of people. Um, wherever we are in whatever walks of life. And I always say, it's interesting you say, you know, conferences. I know you and I, I think, probably met at a conference. Yeah, um, and Right? Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, conferences, and even the reason that I'm doing this podcast is because it's a place where... Um, like-minded people can really come together and understand what the other is doing because really that's how you learn more than even sitting in any class you learn from speaking and engaging with other people that are doing things similarly to you and um, I think that's really such a huge benefit and I really applaud your outreach because that's that's the way to learn because you are thrust in as a trustee and then as a chairman into this position and you have to really maximize it for your constituents and your members and I think you really did that so so you know hats off to you Daryl so let's talk a little bit about Memphis particularly and the current environment and you know the effect on business I know you you do a lot of your businessman now as well so tell us a little about that and what's going on is Memphis would you consider a growing growing city um, it's growing, but in the low single digits, uh, probably in the one to one and a half percent range. So not as rapidly as, as many of us would like from an economic growth point, but um, it's growing nonetheless. And one of the things I say about Memphis is that it's never red hot and it's never ice cold. It's just sort of on this path of evolution and, and, uh, and progress. Uh, but it's not uh, rapid exponential growth. And, um, you know, we're working on those things that we think as a community we need to address to, to sort of put the accelerator down a little bit more. Part of that is workforce development and, and educational attainment. Uh, we really need to, um, to push on that. And, and one thing that, that I learned recently Memphis has more 18 to 24-year-olds, that age demographic, uh, than any metropolitan area in the nation. Wow, I had no idea. And, um, and so what we do with that um, sort of army of young people uh, in making sure that they're prepared to have brighter futures, and that's just not to say that they need to be quote unquote workers, but they can be entrepreneurs, they can be uh, political leaders, they can be CEOs, nonprofit leaders, whatever the case may be. Uh, but that unique uh, dynamic, I think, is something that, that we are working to leverage. There are a number of organizations in town pushing on that. Um, from an economic development standpoint, our Chamber of Commerce has really been active in um, growing minority and women-owned businesses. Um, Historically, our numbers have been relatively low in that regard. Uh, But again, when I I look at a low number like that, I say, jokingly, but true, uh, there's nowhere to go but up. (laughs) So uh, the incremental, even a modest incremental increase in our growth with those businesses could, could dramatically impact the overall economic uh, vitality of this community. And I think also the idea is uh, turning those 18 to 24 year olds into 25 and up year olds, right? Like people who stay there, who build their families there, 
um, with you know children in the school system. That's that's really key also is to make sure that they're they're building and staying. And usually when they are successful and they're finding um, themselves in that way, then they are more likely to stay. That's Isn't right. that true? Yeah, yeah. We have a, actually we have a plan that our current mayor and his administration undertook. Uh, called Memphis 3.0. You can actually look at it online. I think it's memphis3.0.org. But it is really a comprehensive assessment of Memphis and provides guidance and direction on where we're going as a community as it relates to uh, workforce, as it relates to land use and development and investment um, and community development, employment, transportation, all of these areas that we know are critical for Memphis's growth and evolution, that's a roadmap that we can utilize to um, uh, to to guide us and those interested in Memphis and investing in Memphis on the path to success. Yeah, and I think I'm curious, you know, in your role when you were chairman, um, was it important to you to have the board invest in local real estate and local businesses? Was that something that you tried to take on? We did. Um, we made our very first private equity investment with a local private equity firm called SSM Partners. And at the time, they had been around 20, 25 years, but had never had a conversation with Memphis like Gas and Water and had never um, uh, been approached or selected. And what, what I've learned is that there's some different philosophies on that. Um, you know, first and foremost, you want quality managers who have a track record of success and who can perform at the highest level. And so once that box is checked, if there are local firms that satisfy that requirement, I think they should have, definitely should have a look uh, based on the strategy and uh, direction of the fund and, um, you know, it meeting its, um, you know, its arc. And so, we were fortunate to have SSM here in Memphis at the right time and invited them in to have a conversation. And we ultimately uh, invested in one of their um, in one of their funds. Also, a local minority-owned firm, African American PhD in finance-led um, company called Preserver Partners. They were a little small firm with about one or two million uh, under management. And uh, we seeded them with, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of three million. Um, and now they have roughly about a hundred million or more under management. Wow! So you were a real visionary with that right, one. Right, right. We wanted quality, uh, but if if there were local folks that fell into that category, we definitely wanted to to um, take a look at them and see if they fit a particular angle that we were going for. And we, we were successful in that. That's great. I know you have been recognized and honored in too many uh, Memphis places to even count. <laughs> but one of them, I, I just love this one. You were honored um, as a Memphis change maker. I love that. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What exactly was that for? Well, it's for Leadership Memphis, actually. That organization that I told you. That, ah, uh, oh, well, that's a great one. I love that. And they uh, celebrated their 40th anniversary uh, roughly a year ago. And what they did uh, in celebration of that was honor 40 Memphians who they felt like were change makers over that 40 year period uh, in different walks of life, uh, business, philanthropy, 
um, religion, uh, just a, a host of different leaders. And I was honored um, to be one of those 40. And it really was rewarding because, again, when I look back on what sparked my interest and ambition to try to make a difference, Leadership Memphis is really where it began for me as an adult. And, and I know you have an 11-year-old son, so how are, how are you making sure that he has the same kind of um, drive for this as you did? I do for him what was done for me. I drag him to more things. You drag him. Else should be dragged to. That's the key. I think. I think with kids, it just seeps in through osmosis. You know, they kick and they scream. They don't want to, but somehow it gets in there. So you oh, just have to keep taking. Absolutely, him. absolutely. Um, he's an only child, so he doesn't have a sibling, and thankfully, he loves his daddy. So if I tell him we're going somewhere together, uh, nine times <laughs> he'll come with you. He'll be happy to go as long as there's a a time limit placed on it where he can do something fun afterwards. So afterward, you got to get the, got to get the ice cream at the end or something like that. That's right. <laughs> so I know also you support the arts, right? You're on the board of trustees for the Brooks Museum of Art. I, mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. Can you tell us a little about that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> the Brooks Museum is um, one of the oldest and, and largest museums of art and um, modern art and um, historical art in the region, actually. We, we had a strategic planning process that was um, led by a gentleman by the name of Michael Kaiser, who's really well known in New York. He used to, um, he used to be over Alvin Ailey and is a consultant. Oh, across the dance the studio. Uh-huh. Um, and so he did a, a really good analysis for the museum to look at its place in this particular area of the country. And from a regional standpoint, it, it sits as really an, an artistic beacon in the middle of this um, sort of Western, West Tennessee, East, uh, Eastern Arkansas and North Mississippi region uh, where visitors come from hundreds of miles away for exhibitions and things like that. But um, excitingly, the museum has, uh, is moving. It's been inside of Overton Park, which is a historic park here in Memphis, similar to Central Park in New York. Oh, nice. Uh, it's been there since its inception almost 100 years ago. And it is moving to our downtown um, to overlook the Memphis Riverfront, which will be a, a really unique setting for uh, this long-standing institution in a yes, a and probably uh, provide more accessibility for people to get there, right? Definitely, definitely. We have a number of our National Civil Rights Museum, uh, where I serve on the board, is downtown as well. Um, we have a you know a number of cultural attractions downtown uh, for tourists and and Memphians alike to enjoy, and um, you know the Brooks mo moving downtown is really a um, uh, you know, it's a monumental occasion because ultimately what it will be is, um, of course, museum, but also community gathering place and community learning place where Memphians of all shapes and hues and backgrounds can congregate and fellowship uh, with art as the backdrop. And, you know, it's really exciting that it'll be overlooking the Mississippi River, which is one of our most unique um, local 
local assets in this community. That'll be absolutely wonderful. So I don't want to let you go with uh, out discussing just really quickly. I know you're um, a real estate investor. How has COVID been affecting uh, Memphis and commercial real estate, residential real estate? Well, I think April and May were probably just like it was for everyone around the country, uh, just harrowing periods where the, the uncertainty was just at an all-time high. Uh, I, I recall driving down one of our main thoroughfares and seeing uh, restaurants with signs out front saying, hey, we're open for business. And I remember thinking to myself, what, what would I do if the government came to me and told me today, stop doing what you've been doing for the past 20 years and wait, wait until we can tell you you can do it again. And that to me, um, you know, was just a horrific thought. Uh, but that's what a lot of these small businesses and public-facing businesses we're experiencing and going through. And so thankfully, our leadership um, just took a very prudent approach. They didn't panic. They didn't um, uh, do anything hasty, but they wanted to make sure citizens were protected and operated within uh, you know, CDC guidelines and other recommended protocols. And so from a business standpoint, the real estate industry was impacted because of course, you had tenants who weren't able to occupy space that they were paying for. And then you had businesses who weren't able to generate the revenue to pay the rent for the spaces that they were trying to salvage and save. And so, you know, I think the PPP funds and, you know, other state and local COVID relief uh, grants and other funding sources have been helpful. I think the jury is still out on how all this affects commercial real estate because right for the long run. Right. Right. Because there are so many different factors that go into how we congregate and how we navigate when we congregate and ultimately what, what safeguards and protocols have to be in place going forward to protect uh, people in spaces. And so I think we still have a ways to go before we're able to determine the full impact but I'm glad to say that, um, you know, the months after, you know, probably July, August up until now, uh, things seem to have gotten back to a similar pace where companies are comfortable making long-term decisions and making investment opportunities. And so uh, we'll see how this second wave that appears to be on the horizon impacts us. But you know, as it stands now, I think we're a lot more informed and a lot more educated so we can all handle it a lot better. Yeah, we're a lot more prepared. And look, um, Memphis needs you to keep uh, doing what you're doing all around the city because I'm sure you're not just sitting on the sidelines, but you're trying to have an impact even during these times. So on behalf of everyone, I thank you. And it's such a pleasure to talk to you because you're really such an interesting person with a rich background and someone who's you know, of course, you're you're an entrepreneur trying to make money, but you seem to always be in the service of others. So that's great. Thank you for what you're doing as well. I think uh, these conversations hopefully are informative and inspiring, and you do such a great job of bringing the best out of us, your guests, and informing <laughs> your listening audience with information that can be beneficial to them. So I thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> it's mutual, Daryl. Thanks a lot. Have a great day, and we're out for now. Bye.